0: Welcome to Message of the Week, presented by Anthem Church. If it's your first time here, why don't you go ahead and follow or subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to us on? Uh, we are in week six of our sermon series, The Miracles of Jesus, and this week we had our very own Pastor Rob Ladyak. He is our Outreach and Misfits Students Pastor, and he preached on the sixth miracle of Jesus healing a blind man, with the message entitled "The Mess." in miracles. Let's go ahead and take a listen and I'll see you at the end.
1: I am ready for today. Are you guys ready for today? Awesome. Great. Um, I took a nine year hiatus from full-time ministry. Um, I would just, I really, really needed a break. Uh, those of you guys that want to get into full-time ministry, understand what you're getting into before you get in there. Uh, I, I just, I really, really needed a break. So I went to go work for a plumbing company. Uh, it was a Christian-owned company. I love it. Uh, a quick plug, Leap Supply. If you're ever looking for plumbing stuff, go to Leap Supply. Uh, it's owned by a Hamstra. Uh, it, it's, it's a great place to work. Uh, but I knew absolutely nothing about the plumbing industry when I went there, and I slowly worked my way up into management. Um, but here's what I learned. Like, sitting and talking to plumbers, I, I've, I learned so much stuff about plumbing and how to do things and so uh, one day, my, my toilet clogged up, my tub clogged up, and based on my plumbing knowledge, I knew my main needed to be rotted. And so I had, up to this point, I had never done uh, rotted a main. And so I figured, all right, I've heard these stories enough. I've been around these machines. I should know what to do. So I went down to the hardware store. I rented a, a rotter machine. And so uh, I go outside and so everything was backed up. I open up my main cap. I look, and up to the very top is filled with raw sewage. So I'm like, all right, all right. Well, this is, this is why plumbers get paid a lot of money. All right, so we're going to do this. And so I, p- I put on my glove. My glove stopped there. And then I realize my main sewer line goes down past right here. And so I'm looking at my router machine. I got my cable, and at the end of the cable is like these, uh, uh, it's, like claws and stuff so when it goes through it like cuts up everything and so I look down at this raw sewers and I'm like it'd be okay that's my family all right that's I, in my head I I had to try to find a way to justify this. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do this. And so I start feeding it. I'm like up to here and it's like there's no point of the glove at this point. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool, cool. And I could feel it. All right it hit the bottom and then it started to go out. And so I'm, I'm feeding the cable, I'm feeding the cable. My first time doing this, I'm feeling good because I've saved myself a couple hundred bucks just by doing this by myself, right? And so I go, I look, and the, 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 I'm like, man, this is taking a long time. So I, I, I press on the, the pedal, it starts feeding it, stuff is flying everywhere. I look, it's all over my pants, it's all over my shirt. And, I'm just, and in my mind, I'm still thinking, you know, this is, it's, it's just my family. You know, I love my family, we're good, you know, so it's, it's, it's all over me. And at this point, I, I just stopped caring. I, I just didn't care anymore. So I go and I go and I go. And then so at the other end of my yard, I open up my other main to see that it cleared everything out. And all of a sudden, problem is done. And I'm like, man. And I was, it was a hot day. It was hot. It was gross. And so I went like this, wiped off. And then I realized it was very slippery right there. And then I realized, like, Okay, it doesn't matter That's just my family. Now it's gross because it's on my face. It is on my face. And so, but here's what I realized that day. I realized something really, really important is that you have to be willing to get messy to fix a problem. You have to be willing to get messy to fix a problem. I Think about, think about a healthy marriage. Think about parenting, loving Jesus, loving people. It is messy. If you don't want to get messy, all those things will be very, very hard. What I've learned is kind of to embrace the mess because you will never create space for a miracle unless you realize you're a mess. And so in John 9, what I love about this miracle is this miracle doesn't end with a big hurrah. It doesn't end with a big amen. The end of the story ends with kind of on a bummer. And so in John chapter 9, if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can read along on your phones or actual Bible. And it, hopefully it should be up behind me. But this is where Jesus heals the blind man. And this story is just a huge, huge mess. This isn't the way a lot of the miracles of Jesus end, and there's so much stuff. And so I want to read John chapter 9, and it takes a few minutes to just follow along because once we get into the message, we're going to skip around. Uh, But John chapter 9, here's what it says. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in, 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 while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with, mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus put some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go in Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. It goes into verse 13. Here's what it says. Here's where it gets super messy. They brought they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees asked them, asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees, "'This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath.' But others asked, "'How can a sinner perform such signs?' So they were divided. They turned again to the blind man. "'What do you have to say about him?' "'It was your eyes he opened.' The man replied, "'He is a prophet.' They still did not believe that he had been born blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. "'Is this your son?' they asked. "'Is this the one you say was born blind? "'How is it that he can now see?' We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how can he see now or open his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents decided this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. Stick with me. The second time they summoned the man who had been born blind, Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. When they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have already told you and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? When they hurled insults at him, he said, you are his fellow disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the eyes opening of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This is an amazing miracle. Unlike a lot of the other miracles that we've heard these past few weeks, there's so much happening here in this, in, in, in this chapter. And so what I want to talk about today is the mess in miracles. The mess in miracles. Because I believe this. If we are honest with ourselves and acknowledge the fact that our lives are very, very messy, we can give God opportunities because miracles only happen in the midst of a mess. Miracles only happen in the midst of our our mess. Here's what I believe the church is really, really good at. I believe the church is really, really good at catfish Christianity. What crap fish Christianity is, it's we want to look good on the outside. We want to know all the clichés. We want to let everyone know we're doing we're doing good, but on the inside our life is really such a huge mess. What we're trying to do is like we're trying to look like Denzel on the outside, but on the inside we really look like Shrek. All right? We want to know, we want everyone to know that everything is good. We know the right things to say. We know how to play the game. We could lift our hands. But on the inside, our life is really, really a mess. Here's what Romans 3 tells us. It is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Church, I don't care how long you've been serving God. Aside from Jesus, your life is a mess. And unless you recognize that your life is a mess, there is no room for Jesus to do anything in your life if you want to play the game and just catfish everyone and make it look like everything is okay. So here's what I want to do. We're going to kind of skip around in this story and pull out some main themes in here about the mess of our lives. Here's what it says in verse 1 through 3. It says, as he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that works of God might be displayed in him. Here's my first point. Number one is don't second guess your mess. Don't second guess your mess. Understand this. You need to know when you're in a mess when it's your fault. Because here's what happens many times we're in a mess because of our choices, we make horrible choices. And then we want to blame the devil. I believe the devil gets so much credit in our lives for the messes that we make for ourselves. I hear people telling me this, the devil is attacking my finances. Really? You don't think it's the fact that you just bought $400 shoes is why you can't make your rent? We make bad choices. The enemy is attacking my mind. It might be the fact that you're filling it with porn and sexualized music. Maybe that's where the attack is really coming from. I get parents that come up to me and says, my child doesn't want to serve the Lord. They're out there living wild. Maybe it's the lack of integrity they see at home. Maybe who they see on Sunday is not the same person they see on Monday through Saturday. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes we live a life where we find ourselves in a mess, and it's because of the choices we made. But understand this, that sometimes... God allows a mess to come into our lives because what he wants to do is to create space for God to show up, to stretch us, to take us into new places, because he wants to do something in our lives. I love how God wants to be so active in our lives, who will create messes in our lives to give him the opportunity to show up. What do we normally do? We just want to pray away the mess, but what we need to do is recognize the difference. Recognize that when you're in a mess because of your choices or recognize when we're in a mess because God wants to do something, we need to recognize the difference. And how do we do that? Prayer. If you want to recognize the difference, you need to pray because two things are going to happen. When you get alone with God, either one, he'll reveal your heart because there's sin in your life and there's things that need to be right or he'll, re- or he'll reveal his heart and let you know, that he's wanting to do something new in your life. So don't second guess your mess. Here's what it says in verse 6. It says this. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now think about this. If I, can, if I got Jesus' power and I could just do whatever I want, I'm not going to go through the hassle of getting dirty. I'm just going to be like, boom, you're good. But that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus, I realize this that sometimes Jesus will create more of a mess for His message to come through. My second point is, God loves a mess. God loves a mess. God is attracted to a mess. If you're here today and you're looking at your life and saying, you know what, my life is a mess, I want to say that God is wanting to do something in your life that he's never done before. He's wanting to change you, rearrange your life. He's wanting to come in and invade because God is attracted to messes. I've heard this said, and it, it's, it's totally not biblical. I've heard people at Anthem say it at every church I've ever been to. I hear people say that, and, and, and the saying is, is God Will not give you more than you can handle. It's not biblical. In no way is that biblical. If we can handle it, we don't need God to come in. There's plenty of times where you look and man alone could not handle it. Think about Moses and the Red Sea. Think about Daniel and the lion's den. Think about the three Hebrew boys in the furnace. Think about David and Goliath. Think about Lazarus being dead. God was always putting people in situations that were bigger than them, that outside of themselves, they could not handle it. Why? Because God loves a big, huge mess. Why? Why does God love a big, huge mess? Because God is all about transformation. God's all about transformation. Look what Jesus says in verse seven through nine. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed he was. Others says, no, it only looks like him. Look what Jesus did. He put mud in his face and says, I want you to go in the pool of scent, and I want you to go and wash off. What is he saying? I want you to wash this mess off of your life. I want you to be changed. I want you to be different. I want you to go and look different. I want you to be unrecognizable. I want people to see the change in your life. Church, if we look just like the world, how are we going to see change in the world? If people at your workplace don't see how your life is different, if the only difference is maybe a couple things, you spend your Sunday morning going to church instead of sleeping in, you will never, ever be effective to do what God has called you to do. Jesus is all about transformation. People should see the change in his life. And look what he did. He sent him to the pool of Siloam, which is the pool of scent. Jesus Main thing what he wants to do is to see people sent. Jesus is not about come and get changed and stay. Jesus is always about come and be changed and be sent. And church, if you don't realize that you have a mission, that God has something bigger for you outside of yourself, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the miracles that God has for you. Verse 14, here's what it says. Here's where the story shifts. Here's where Jesus gets in trouble. Now on the day in which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Now we look in the New Testament all throughout, just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was always a big, huge thing because the Sabbath was a holy day, and you were not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, and Jesus broke the rules. So my third point is this. There is a method to the mess. Realize this, that Jesus is not a slave to your system. He is not a slave to your system. He decides how he cleans the mess and whose mess he's going to clean. What we really need to do is stop boxing God in. The problem was the Pharisees had this rigid way that they felt this is the way God works. This is how it's supposed to look. This is how God does things. Anything outside of that, the Pharisees felt like that wasn't right. And what I see this is it's still so prevalent in our churches today. We think that people should change everything overnight. We think serving Jesus should come in this nice, neat package box that just that looks just like us. I believe there's a Pharisee spirit that's well and alive in churches today. And, and, and I tried to think of a word, and I don't know if I coined this word, but it, it popped into my mind. And I thought it, it made a lot of sense. And I don't mean to offend anyone. But the, the word that I came up with is for a Pharisee spirit that everything needs to look nice and and nice and neat is homo spiritual. I really believe that this is a spirit and what this is, it's, it's, it's where church people only want to be around people that are just like them. They only want to be around people that think like them, that talk like them, that believe what believe like them what they don't want to do they 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 don't want to be around people who are a little bit rough they don't want to be around people who are a little bit they want to be around people that look just like them they want to be around people who have their same giftings and what they do is is what they make the church be is just so internalized so clicky I was at a, a thing yesterday and I was listening to people and they said you don't know how many churches that I've walked into that I didn't feel welcome because of the way I look and I thought, it's because that spirit is alive and well in many churches today. Yep. It's that Pharisee spirit. It's, it, it's, that, it's that spirit where we just want to be like people, we just want to be with people just like ourselves. And I find this that the older you get, the longer you begin to serve Jesus, the more easy it is to fall into this trap, to where all your friends are church friends. All your friends, maybe they're the same color, they're the, the part of the same ministry. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus does this. He, he hung around with 12 guys who constantly didn't get it. He hung around with people who were rough around the edges. He spent time with people who are messy. Here's why I like being around new Christians. Because I believe that new Christians really are doing a lot of times the most kingdom work. Because they're the most excited about Jesus. The, the, you could still smell the Holy Spirit on their body. They're the people who bring the most people to church. They're the people who are evangelizing the most because they're exciting. The things of God haven't become common to them. It's they, they just want to experience what God has for them. Sometimes I think we just need to step outside of our box that we've created and realize that God maybe doesn't work the way you want him to work. Maybe people come on stage and they begin to testify and they say something that maybe rubs you a little bit wrong. And you think that's not appropriate. Can I tell you, it's okay. Because I think when moments, when I look at people's lives and I think like, the way I see them, is that the way God sees them? And so sometimes we just need to step outside of our little box. And, but but, the, but the, the Pharisees' mess continues because here's what it says in verse 16. It says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Think about this. So there's this man who has just been blind his whole life, now gets healed. Look at what the Pharisees, what their focus was on. Their focus wasn't on celebrating the fact that this man got healed. Their focus was on their method. The focus was on the Sabbath. And here's what I find, that sometimes if we fall in line instead of falling in love with Christ, we miss it. So many times, so many times we just want to be like the popular. We want to be like the majority. And I will tell you, if, you're, if in your mind you're wanting to be just like everyone else, you don't want to ruffle any feathers, you don't want to just go with the flow, you don't want to go against the current, I will tell you this, you will miss miracles every single time. The Pharisees were these people, these church people, who were just stuck in their ways and they looked and says, that's not the way we've always done it. They didn't want change. They didn't want something new. They didn't want something fresh. I've been in churches where it just stinks of age. Where you just sit there and I think, I don't even think God showed up. Like, I think we're just here, just hanging out, singing songs. I don't think God is here because I look on your face and you don't even want to be here. But what I love What I love is that we cannot be married to the method. We can't. Here's what I believe. There are some of us that there are things that God has birthed in your life that are going to break the rules. And that's okay. That is okay. I believe us as Anthem Church, I really believe, and the leadership feel this too, that we need to be very, very flexible in how we reach people. I think there's, there's certain core values that we have in line, but I believe there's some of you guys that are going to begin to speak things, speak things that God has put on your heart, and you're going to take it to leadership, and they're, they're going to automatically know that's a God thing. That's a God thing. And so what I feel like sometimes we just need to come outside of our rigidness, come outside of our methods if your heart is like to be like the majority and popular, you'll miss him every time. And here's what verse 22 through 23 says. Here's what it says. His parents said this. Okay, remember they brought, they brought the parents in. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why the parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Basically what the parents said, we don't know him. I mean, they left him, uh, their own son, they left him out to dry. My fourth point is this, is there will be a test of your mess. What is the test? Sometimes God will allow you to be alone in your mess. You won't get an amen. When you want someone to be there, they won't be there. My question is for you, if you're serving Christ, what will you do when you have to stand alone? What will you do when you're all by yourself, when you're hoping and you're wishing people would be around you to support you? This is why I believe Jesus said this that is so crucial and so important to every single one of us. Jesus said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. Why? Because he knows there are going to be times where you're going to be all by yourself. And the question is going to be, what are you going to do? This is where I believe a lot of people give up because they believe that serving Jesus I was I was painted this picture that all of a sudden I served Jesus and now it's like unicorns and rainbows and dancing in fields of daisies it's not the disciples gave their life they died for the gospel and if we think that we buy into this prosperity gospel that signing on the dotted line means Jesus is going to give us everything that we want and we're going to live this great fantastical life you're wrong there will be times where you will be alone. And the question is, is, is Jesus really enough for you? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, here's what it says. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I said before I went to work in a plumbing supply company, and it was a very, very hard, difficult time because my heart was still pulled into ministry and stuff. And I, and I went through a season where I didn't really understand why I was in this season. And I remember I, I had kind of came to my wits end and I kind of came to this place where I just had to have a one-on-one with Jesus. And I remember praying one day and this is where everything began to shift. This is where the light switch came on. I was praying and Jesus asked me, he said, what do you love to do? And I said, that's easy, Lord. I love to preach. I love to teach and I love to disciple. I love to just be with people. That's my heart. And Jesus said, what if I never, ever gave you the opportunity to do that? And I thought, why would you do that? That's what I love to do. Like, that's my purpose. That's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And Jesus said this to me, and it, it changed my whole approach, how I even approach living for Christ. He said, then I am not enough. You need me plus other stuff. You need me plus ministry, you need me, plus people in your life, to hear what you have to say, he said this, until I am not enough, until I am enough for you, until I am everything you need, and even if in, even if I never give you the opportunity to jump back in, and do what you love, you will never ever see what I have for you, and it changed my approach, and then I had to realize, as I was going through this nine-year stint of not being in ministry, I realized this, That if I never go into ministry, if I never go into leadership, it's okay. Because I had to realize that Christ is enough. If he takes away everything from me, Christ is still enough. And so here this man is experiencing that exact same test. It's being alone in your mess. Is Christ really enough? For some of us, there's things we are chasing We're chasing 401ks, we're chasing careers, we're chasing material things. And Jesus is just looking back and saying, I know what you say, but your life does not point that I'm all you need. Because I'm just a supplement. I'm just another addition to your life. And for some of us today, I really feel like as, as I was sitting there worshiping next to my beautiful wife that we just celebrated 25 years of being married. I'm telling you, when you have a wife that's as good as mine, 25 years, it's easy. It's easy. I just pray for her, right? (laughs) Because if you know me, pray for her. Thanks, Pastor Christian. I appreciate the amen. Yeah, yeah. But as I was sitting there worshiping next to her, I really felt like God was saying, today I'm going to do a work, and I'm going to change people's lives, and they will never, ever be the same. And for some of us, I really believe that God is maybe up there in priorities, but God is saying, "I'm, I'm not everything, though. I'm not everything. And what I love is God will not compete for your affections. Many times you see in Scripture, he just gave them over to what they wanted. You want that? Go ahead, chase that. You can have that. But I really feel like some of us today, like we are going to be able to walk out of here, and your lives are going to be different. Like some, for some of us, the light switch is just going to turn on, and that makes sense. And for me, I've had many moments, and I look forward to many more. But, but here's what it says in verse 33. Uh, in verse 33 here's here's what he says he said if this man were not from god he could do nothing what i love is that he began to just testify so my last point is this in verse 33 your mess is your message your mess is your message i come across so many people that say i don't have a ministry i don't have a gift you are the ministry your life, what Christ has done in your life, is the ministry. It's what he called us to do in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. And I really feel like some of us were, we're waiting for this big, huge open door. I really feel like God is just saying, you, you're not, you haven't even done the basics. You haven't even done what I've asked you to do. You haven't even went into your neighborhood. You haven't even told your family. You haven't even told your coworkers about how good I am. Why would I give you something big when you can't be faithful with something small? Your mess is your message. Jesus transformed this guy, and his immediate response was to testify. There are people in your life, I believe this with everything in my heart, there are people in your life that will only believe it if you tell them. I I, I get young people that come, come to me all the time, and they tell me this, man, I have friends, but they just can't make it to misfits. That's okay. That's okay, because I realize this that God put them in your life. You tell them the good news. They don't need to hear it from me. Misfits isn't about building a big, huge youth ministry. I love to see people empowered to do the work. If if, if we think that what Anthem Church is about is trying to reach the entire 219 on a Sunday, you've got it wrong. Anthem Church, we are here. God has set us up to equip you, to encourage you to take the good news outside of these walls. To reach your circle when you leave. You may have friends that will never ever step foot at Anthem. And guess what? We are okay with that. We are okay with that. But you have a responsibility. It's not optional. You have a responsibility to testify of the things that you have seen. Why do they call it a witness in court? Because a witness testifies of what they've seen. Church, we are called to be witnesses in this world, to testify of the goodness that God has done in our lives. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing anything. You got work to do. There's people around you that their life is a mess and they don't have the answer. My question is, is what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What can you do Monday morning when you wake up to begin to do what God has called you to do so you can see the miracles. Even though you yourself are a mess, your mess is your message. I want to finish with this. There's a lady, her name is Terry Horton. Her name is Terry Horton. And what she is, she's a 74-year-old retired truck driver with an eighth-grade education. She was shopping at a thrift store, and she noticed a painting with a lot of color and textures, and she, brought, she bought it for five dollars She took it home to her trailer, and it couldn't fit through the door. So she kept it outside in the garage, and she thought it would be nice for her friends to get drunk, and let's throw darts at it. Well, her friends, they probably ended up getting drunk, but they never, ever ended up throwing darts at it. And so what she decided to do was to put it in a garage sale. It couldn't fit in the house, and that day, an art teacher was at her garage sale, and she noticed the painting, and she says, I'm no expert, but I think that's a Jackson Pollock. Terry said, who is Jackson Pollock? With an explicative in there. There, so. Here's who Jackson Pollock is. He is one of the most important American artists of the 20th century. His work is stunningly original and extremely influential. The Museum of Modern Art in New York has devoted a whole room to his paintings. Pollock made those paintings by dripping, splattering, and pouring paint on a canvas. He barely eked by until the so-called drip paintings started to sell in the early 50s. His reputation continued to grow until he died in 1956 in a drunk driving accident, and so did the prices of his paintings. One Jackson Pollock work called Number 5 sold for a record $140 million. The story doesn't end on a good note, though. Terry died a few years ago, and her painting never sold, even though she was offered $10 million for it. She never sold it because she didn't know how much it was worth. Church, some of us are living like we are a thrift store, but there's value hidden away that Jesus is waiting to redeem. Jesus is willing to dig through your mess because you are valuable to him. You are so valuable that he decided to give up his life for you so you could experience everything that God has for you. Your life may be a mess. You may be sitting here today and say, man, I just just don't feel like I fit in. I don't feel like I can get. I I look at Pastor Sam. I look at some of these people. I look at Pastor Dorothy. I look at the greeters and this this smile they have on their faces. I don't know if my life lines up with that. I want to tell you, your life may look like a thrift store. It may look like it's filled with a bunch of junk. But what God wants to do is pick out that value that he does see there and redeem it and say, you are valuable to me. If everyone in this room could just bow their heads and close their eyes, I just want to have just give you an opportunity to make the best choice you will ever make in your whole life. It's a choice I made when I was 16 years old. And I had been going to church for six months. The first time I heard the gospel was I was 15 years old. And for six months, God began to chip away at my heart. And six months into going at church, I decided I'm going to make this choice. And if Jesus really is who he says he is, I just want him to change my life. I had no idea that my life would be the greatest adventure I had ever imagined. I had no idea that God would open up doors after doors after doors. I had no idea that I would fail and fail and fail again and he would pick me up. If you're here today and you say, I want to make that commitment and I want to serve Christ. I want to make him my everything. I want to be different. I want to know the value he sees in me. If there's anyone here, if you could just slip up your hand real quick. If there's anyone here, you guys can put those hands down. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I would just love every single one of us for those of us that maybe just maybe this is your first time saying it, or maybe you're recommitting, maybe you said it a long time ago, but then you walked away from the Lord. But tonight, today is the day where your life changes forever. And for some of us, maybe we're already there, and it's just a reaffirmation of who Christ is in our life. If we can just all repeat this prayer, just repeat with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for my mess. But I thank you that you love me. I choose today. You you are my savior You are my lord Thank you for dying on the cross and raising from the dead for me I choose you You are my priority From this day forward I live for you not for myself or not for this world Thank you In Jesus name and everyone said amen Amen. How much are thankful that God looks through our mess and redeems us. Thank you guys so much. If, if you guys said that prayer, we would love at the end of service to, to, to come and talk to someone. The worst thing you could do is just pray their prayer and think like everything magically changes. As Anthem Church, we love, love to partner with people and be a part of this amazing journey of seeing you grow in your faith. You guys be blessed today.
0: That was The Mess in Miracles. Hey, listen, thanks again for joining us again this week. If you have any questions about us at all, head on over to weareanthemchurch.com and you'll find the answers there. Of course, we always want to leave with the blessing. So may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. We'll see you next week.